Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Alex Tonsberg. Before I tell you more about Alex, let me just apologize if there's some background noise while I record this introduction. I'm in Nepal and it is impossible at the moment to find a completely quiet place. So thank you for your tolerance and patience as you might hear some background noise and my audio quality may not be at its very best. But back to my conversation with Alex. They say there are two things that are certain in life death and taxes. But for Alex, there was a third certainty. While still in elementary school, Alex determined that there would be nothing that would prevent her from having an interesting life. From art student living in Australia to registered nurse working in austere environments and chaotic trauma centers, the desire for an interesting life never left and has been what has guided Alex to ask sometimes difficult questions about what is important in life. Today, Alex is an entrepreneur, the owner of Dark Humor Coffee, and has reconnected with her love for art by becoming an apprentice at Two Cents Ceramics. Our conversation is about courage, determination, thoughtful pursuits of oneself, and so much more. We had the chance to record our conversation a few weeks ago when I was in Tennessee, and it's only the third podcast that I've been able to record in person with my guest, so that was a treat. It is also a special experience having a podcast conversation with someone I've known for years, to learn more about their journey, hear pieces of the backstory, and it reminds me that no matter how long and how well I know someone, there is always more to learn. Alex, thank you for sharing these stories, for reflecting so thoughtfully on your journey and choices, and for the insightful life lessons that have become a part of who you are. I am honored to host and share this conversation here. Alex, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thanks. This is really fun because I just said this before we started recording, but it's worth saying on the recording too. This is the third time that I have been able to record a podcast in person with my guests. So you and I are sitting together with our cups of tea with a fire over there in the corner. And it is such a treat because this is sort of the feeling that I want to get, but most of the time we're on Zoom and it's not quite that feeling. <laughs> you mean the Zoom backgrounds don't do it? <laughs> backgrounds, I mean, they're okay, but... Yeah. <laughs> now I get it. Um, definitely, it's nice to be able to record it in person, at least from my experience of using studios and um, recording. Um there's just something that's even better about being able to have that uh, in-person contact like, and uh, just be in proximity. Yeah. And I mean, I'm super grateful for technology, especially, I mean, you and I both have lived all around the world and lived far away from family and friends. So I love the technology and I'm like, I mean, being in person is, it's different. It's really nice and it's wonderful yeah. when it can happen. So for sure, here we are. Um, and this has been months months in development where we've had um, things scheduled and it mm. hasn't happened for many different reasons. And so I am just really excited to to be here with you. Yeah, same. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so as we get started, I have my one standard question and then we'll we'll see where the conversation goes after that. But this podcast, the name of the podcast, the work I do, comes from a quote from Marianne Evans. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear, what does that mean to you? Mm, This is the question that I've been afraid of since you've asked me. (laughs) Awesome. Let's get the hard stuff out of the way first. And then it'll be all downhill. (laughs) She's going to ask me and I'm not going to have a good response. (laughs) And here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And I am stalling. <laughs> um, you know, I was frantically thinking about this this morning. Um, and I think the thing that I have consistently come back to since we first talked about um, this particular topic is that I don't I don't know if there 
is a particularly tried and true way to make life less difficult. Um, as much as I think that like examining things that we hold on to helps us navigate um, like our attachments, um, our desires, our goals, and maybe in doing that and, and like really examining those things to um, a point where life becomes manageable for us. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe that's the secret sauce. I don't know. I would love to hear you say more about the the phrase that really stood out to me is examining the things we hold on to. Mm. I'd love to just hear more of your thoughts about what that means, what those things might be. Um, man, loaded. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> you only thought the first question was the hardest. <laughs> You've given me a challenge to get even tougher questions out there. I'm not doing a good job of making life less difficult. <laughs> no, you're not. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is quite the opposite right now. It's not less difficult. <laughs> um, well, I can only speak from my own personal experience. And I think that's another thing that has made figuring out the whole life thing a little bit more challenging for me is that um, it is such an individual experience. And two people can go through the exact same situation side by side, and they can have such vastly different uh, lingering um, thoughts, emotions about that experience. Mm. Um, and maybe that's something that I, you know, did to myself um, that made life a little bit more challenging for me. And is that I kind of did experience a lot of things on my own. Uh, not because anybody pushed me into like this solitary experience of life, but just by my own nature, I tend to be a little bit more solitary. Um, but yeah, examining the things that we hold on to. Um, I would say that's the theme of the last 10 years of my existence. Um, and there's, there's just so many experiences and situations that I've had in life um, going back to, you know, a teenager that like I consistently have seen how I've, you know, revisited, examined sometimes for years, you know, one particular situation and then like really try to distill what is it that is still lingering in me about, you know, something and, um, try to bring some sense of completion to that thought or that emotion um, and decide whether or not it's something that I want to hold on to um, deciding whether or not it serves me to hold on to um, and just really trying to figure out what the purpose of that thought or emotion might be. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, I'd say the more granular look at that comment. Yeah. What I mean comes to mind for me as you're sharing that is the amount of courage. So that courage, courage is the, the thing that I hear of being willing to look at things, being willing to ask those questions of how is this serving me or not serving me? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, sometimes we hold on to, stories, we call them stories from our past or different experiences that we had that are near and dear. I know I have experienced where I'm like, no, like this is, this is the way the story happened. Like this is what happened, you know, to me or this or that. But then as I have grown and seen it from different, different perspectives and maybe seen it from some other people's perspective to realize, oh, going back to your thought of there's an individual journey for everyone. And even if we experience the exact same thing. Your experience is unique from my experience and your story of it is going to be a little different than mine. And I think that's something that, that comes to mind is it, it takes courage to even consider letting go of my perspective and my story. Mm. Um, yeah. So I don't know how that resonates or not. Yeah. Um, I think 
Uh, one of the sub themes of my life in particular is uh, deconstruction. Um, and in many forms, uh, you know, when I was late teens, um, early mid twenties, it was deconstruction of, um, religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then deconstruction of what I thought my identity was. Mm-hmm. Um, and now later on in life is deconstruction of, um, who I thought I had become in, you know, my professional setting, um, and really pulling everything apart, um, which is simultaneously exciting and terrifying, um, to just, you know, take all the screws out of your well-established life and lay every bit out and and then (laughs) realize you don't have the instructions to put it back together. (laughs) Ah, back to the courage theme. <laughs> it's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. And I have this visual of an old house. So one of the houses that we have is this old house. And I thought about taking the wallpaper off the walls. Oh, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> exactly. We started peeling that back and we're like, oh, those are plaster walls. Let's just leave that there. Let's just put something on top of it. Right? Like it's, yeah. it's easier to do. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's just let's just patch over that, yeah. that yeah. deconstruct and pull it all apart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this, keeping with the theme of making life less difficult, what you are describing, deconstructing beliefs, ideas, identity over the course of your life in various areas, religion, um, et cetera, et cetera. Those to me stand out as difficult. It's a difficult process. It's not easy. And there's no magic wand to no. just wave it and poof, everything is all sorted. What and or who helped make it less difficult? You know, there's there's something to be said about naysayers. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> There's there's probably a lot to be said about naysayers. (laughs) I'm curious about what you have to say about naysayers. You know, oftentimes, um, I guess we think like, oh, you know, these particular people had such great influence and like they really pushed me to become who I am or um, gave me the guidance that I needed. And I feel like because... um, some of the things that it deconstructed have been so significant, so um, critical to fitting into like your little social structures. Um, The people that really like created that less difficult were actually the naysayers because in, in their negative outlooks or their criticisms of who I was or was becoming I got a lot more clarity about, um, how I was like navigating and, um, no, it wasn't necessarily the support that I wanted, but I, I feel like it just made it that much easier to know exactly what I was willing to tolerate and what I was not. Um, of course I didn't have that perspective on it, um, you know, during those times, but I just think of like, if everybody had just gone along with my ideas or, um, thought processes, like maybe it would have been more confusing, you know? Um, but yeah, it was, I think in, you know, one particular statement, um, that I remember being told is like, you're ruining God's plan for your life. Mm. And, um, (laughs) it was such a deep cut, such a deep cut to get, you know, told that. And it was so clarifying that, well, if this group of people or this particular person thinks that I am just absolutely demolishing my life and like this idea that, there's a particular one way for me and I've destroyed it. And maybe I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. So 
that's an example of, you know, naysayers being beneficial. So <laughs> in that example, and, and I'm sure there's many others that you could also share. I'm wondering, what do you think it is in you that, that creates that sort of response? Because other people would respond differently, right? Want to try to gain acceptance and, you know, and, and it might be more of a struggle then to kind of find that, that clarity and stuff. So, I mean, I mean, what do you attribute to like personality <laughs> upbringing, like something that, that gives you sort of that strong, again, I'll, I'll say the word courageous, independent response to the naysayers. Yeah. I don't know. I, it might be genetics. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's always been a bit of a fire in my belly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think one of the earliest memories is uh, when I was in elementary school, um, I found this little kitten outside during recess and it was freezing cold. And I was like, there's no way that it is appropriate to leave such a small animal outside in the cold. Like, rules be damned. I'm doing what I want. And so I put the cat, it was a kitten. I mean, I put it in my coat pocket. This is like a little kid's coat pocket. So it was really small. And I don't remember how, but the teacher ended up finding out that I had this kitten in my pocket, probably because I couldn't help myself. And I took it out and was like, okay. Um, I can just imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he he was meowing. I named him Chucky. Um, yeah. And, and the teacher got super upset with me. He's like, you put that cat right back outside right now. There's like no reason for you to have brought it in here. I was livid about as livid as any, like, I don't know, six-year-old could be. And I remember like, I must've, I must've written about it somewhere. I think I wrote it about, I wrote about it in one of my journals, but I was pissed. I was so angry. Hmm. Um, and I, I eventually put the cat back outside, but like, there was this like righteous indignation that like, how dare somebody, you know, tell me to like ignore a creature that's in need. Like, you know, that's all kinds of wrong and basically, yeah. How dare they? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've just always had like this predisposition to challenge, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yes, I see your rules and I raise you my concerns. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I just think that just basically was me, you know, um, I don't, I can't think of a time where I haven't like challenged things, even if I'm not outwardly challenging challenging a thought or a way of doing something, I might inwardly be processing it and asking, well, why is it that, you know, this is done a certain way or why do we have this belief or why should I meet this like standard in society? You know, why? I guess I never lost the why question. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, it takes courage <laughs> to ask why, mm. especially in systems. Mm. Like in, in, I mean, we'll kind of get to these bigger systems, but at first you mentioned this religious system, right? I mean, it takes courage to ask why, mm-hmm. because a lot of times in these religious systems, it's not encouraged to ask why you just, because, because God said so, because the Bible says so, because the pastor said so, mm-hmm. or the parent or somebody with some authority said so. There yeah. needs to be no other reason why. And in that sort of system. And then uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the future career choices that you made <laughs> of nursing, which has a lot of regulation and structure, military service. Yeah. Lots of structure and <laughs> roles. And so I'm not sure. I, I'm going to stop talking for a moment and just let you share what's coming up for you. But I have so many questions to ask about this. Yeah. Um, I like social experiments. 
Um, and since nobody else was volunteering for these experiments that I wanted to run, I decided to volunteer myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, curiosity, honestly, uh, with the military, it was just like this burning curiosity. Like, what would it be like? Um, and then with nursing, it was just like, I felt a need to try to quote unquote, become something. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I'd say those were the reasons. Um, so which one do you want to talk about? First? <laughs> well, I mean, since you couched it as an experiment, <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear how, how, did the experiments oh, play yeah. out? I mean, well, um, all right, let's go with the military. Okay. Um, so uh, I was probably a junior in high school when I first started flirting with the Marine Corps. Um, <laughs> and uh, the recruiters were all too happy to speak with me because here I was like this, you know, 18 year old senior in high school by that point. Um, and talk about a slow burn, man. I messed with those guys so bad. I did. I mean, I took it all the way to going to the office, uh, the recruiting office to sign the paperwork. And then something in my teenage brain clicked and I was like, well, let me read through this contract. And so I read through the contract And there wasn't a single thing in that contract that the recruiter had promised. Oh, wow. And he had told me, he's like, yeah, you scored super high on the ASVAB. You can basically pick anything that you want. And I was like, sweet deal. Okay. Well, I want this, this, and this. This is my first, second, third options. And he's like, awesome. You know, we'll get that in there and we'll, whatever. And then came the day to sign the paperwork and I was, I stopped, I'd say probably halfway through reading the contract. I was like, Hey, you know, that stuff that we talked about, it's not in here. Um, can you explain to me, you know, how, how that works? And of course he starts hemming and hawing and I was like, okay, well, you said that I could do X, Y, Z because of my ASVAB score. And he's like, well, I mean, like, why do you want to be a Marine? You know, come on. Like we talked about this and, He pulls out, I don't know if they still use them now, but he had like these uh, vinyl, like stack of, I don't know, honor, courage, blah, 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 Mm. you know. Like the Marine Corps values. Yeah, I guess. But it was a stack and you were supposed to take like these 20 things and put them in order of like priority to you and like how you saw that fitting into your desire to be a Marine and all this stuff. And I was like, so he pulled those things out again. And he's like, well, you know, you said that, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said all of that, but there are things that I want to. Yeah. And I was like, if you can get those things written into this contract, I'll sign it. I'm right here. I, I won't back down. And, you know, he kept hemming and hawing. And I finally was like, look, I'm not signing this. You didn't put into this contract what we talked about. I'm not going to sign it. He was pissed. He was mm. so angry. Um, and I just walked out of the office and he tried to reach me, you know, a couple more times over the next two weeks. And I just was like, have you updated the contract? No. Okay. Tell me when you do and I'll sign. Mm. Um, so I ended up going to plan B, which I don't know why this wasn't plan A, but I ended up going to plan B, which was to move to Australia and go to art school. Um, a natural plan B. It was a natural the plan Marine B. Corps <laughs> art school in Australia. <laughs> I have love it. a lot of interests. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. So then, um, I ended up um working for about nine months after I graduated high school. Um, I'm talking like a solid eighty hours a week. I was constantly working to save up enough money because 
my parents were like, great, you can go, but we're not going to pay for it. And I think that was like their way of like, we will see if she actually does this. And then I took off and they're like, oops, <laughs> we shouldn't have done that. Oh, wow. I mean, no, no harm, no foul. Like it was great. It was, I'm glad that, you know, my parents were like, no, we're not paying for this. Like you have our blessing go, but we're not going to pay for this because that that right there, like really taught me to appreciate hard work. And, um, that was probably the first time that I actually saw how I could accomplish something Mm. on my own. And, um, I was like, heck yeah. Like, I like this independence thing. It's quite nice. Yeah. Um, Really empowering. Yeah, it really was. And so, um, I have my parents to thank for that one. Um, I will, always be grateful for that. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, by that point I was 19 and, uh, to sign your name as a 19 year old on the line that says you're going to be financially responsible for all of your like, um, educational funding, like mm-hmm. it's a pretty big deal. It is. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah. Where was I going with this? Um, military. Oh yeah. Military. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I ended up coming back, you know, to the United States. Um, and then I worked in a factory for a little while and then I decided to go, um, to nursing school, but I still just had that curiosity about the military. Um, so my junior year of nursing school, I decided uh, to contact the recruiters and, um, they're like, yeah, it's an opportunity for you, but not with the Marine Corps. Like you can, you know, check out the Navy. Um, and I wasn't particularly sold on that, but then I found out that there is a, like a part of the Navy that provided, you know, all of this healthcare, you know, to Marines. And I was like, done, you know, that's where I want to go. Um, so it was the medical battalion. Um, and it took me a while to get there, but I finally did accomplish that part. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it was just a curiosity that I wanted to satisfy. I could not get rid of it. Like it was eight years between walking out of that recruiter's office and then actually walking back in to sign the paperwork. Um, and, uh, I don't regret it. I got, you know, what I wanted out of it. And, um, I think somewhere in there, I did get a little lost because I never, I never intended the military, um, to be, uh, you know, a retirement option or a career, a final destination for a career. Um, it was, it really was just like, Hey, let's check this out and see what it's like. And you can go have some fun. Um, and I, I would say that I probably did get a little lost in there and like really started to see it as like, this is the only option for me in life and I can't do anything else. And, um, it did take a little while for me to like remind myself as to, Hey, this is, you know, your own social experiment. Like, um, you don't, you don't have to stay with it forever and ever. Um, you can go out and do some other things too. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say that it's the place to go if you are a free spirit and uh, like to challenge things. Because I'll definitely say I've had my fair share of run-ins with the uh, <laughs> higher-ranking authority. <laughs> we have not agreed. <laughs> I mean, I was never formally disciplined, but <laughs> I didn't mind telling some of sixes what I thought either as an O one. So. <laughs> I had a reputation (laughs) and I'd say probably like the first, Oh, I feel so sorry for this captain. But anyway, um, going into the military, like I refused to take any tuition assistance. I refused to take any signing bonuses and they were trying to get me to take it. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it because I know what you're going to do to me. (laughs) Like you're going to tie me down. (laughs) And I don't like that. Um, you didn't want to be beholden. No. Uh-uh. Yeah. 
because I had this plan that I was going to be an ER nurse and trauma nurse and like all this other stuff. And I was like, if I go in and do what you tell me to do, I'll never get there. Mm. So, um, I, I commissioned, um, they brought me in as a medical surgical nurse. I got my first job as an emergency room nurse. So then they kept telling me like, well, you need to credential. It's not enough in the military that, you know, you're a nurse. Like they want you to see, they want to see you holding, um, you know, particular specialties and stuff like that. Um, I was like, well, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to credential as a med surgeon nurse. Um, I'm an ER nurse. That's what I do. That's who I am. And they're like, but your paperwork says that you're a med surgeon nurse. And I would just write back in, but I work as an ER nurse. And I mean, this went on for six months. And I finally said, I wrote an email and I was like, ma'am, I am not going to change my employment to satisfy this requirement. I work as an emergency room nurse. This is where I am going to stay. So tell me how I can get that credentialing. And that's what I will do. And they finally gave up and they were like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> I And I even said, I, I don't have any like commitment in a signing bonus. I don't have any tuition repayments to do. Yeah, This is what I'm going to do. And um, so that's what I did. And um, that was just like the beginning of many other knows that I had <laughs> to express. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, I, I mean, I will sound like broken record in this conversation because the courage <laughs> there, it really stands out. And I mean, it, it's, there's many different areas in life where, and I speak as somebody who has tendencies to be a people pleaser. Mm. And so that real desire to have people be happy with what I'm doing and, you know, put aside whatever would be my first choice because the second or third choice will be fine because then that person will be happy. And so again, through my lens, I do see it as a lot of courage Mm. to, to essentially not try to please these other people. You are, you have a goal, you have a focus and you're, you're like on the path for that. And, and you're telling people, no, like what you, your path for me is not aligned with my path for me. So let's figure out how to make my path for me. And you were willing to not take the tuition repayment plans and, mm-hmm. and the additional bonuses so that you could stay to your plan and not kind of be forced into some other plan that someone else had for you. And I, it's very admirable. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think I've always been really deliberate about things that I do as well. Um, while the military, you know, going into the military sounds like a willy nilly decision. It really wasn't like, I was like, okay, great. I have this burning desire to be in the military and I really want to do this to see what it's like. And what's in it for me. It wasn't enough that I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to know what it was, you know, how it was going to benefit me. And so I came up with three things that I wanted. One was I wanted a deployment on the hospital ship, the USNS Mercy. Um, I wanted to serve um, with the Marines. And then I also wanted a, a deployment as a trauma nurse in Afghanistan. And by the time that I decided that the experiment was over, <laughs> I had gotten all three things and a whole bunch of other stuff too. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, like, it wasn't just good enough to go into it because I wanted to do it. Like I wanted certain things from it too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, and it's just, it's slightly amusing to hear you kind of say, it wasn't just a willy nilly decision. Nothing in your story makes it sound like a willy nilly (laughs) decision, right? I mean, you were in the Marine Corps recruiter's office at 18 and then didn't choose it. But eight years later, you you know, something, nothing actually comes across as a willy nilly decision, (laughs) just, just for perspective. (laughs) 
I guess to me, sometimes I feel like I can just kind of like, oh, this looks fun. Let's take a right hand turn here. <laughs> well, and what what comes up for me, mm-hmm. I actually have had a couple of conversations with people about this who are who are trying to figure out their future and mm. trying to figure out the next steps. And they don't have it all figured out and they don't have and so they can get almost paralyzed in thinking about what's the what's the right next step for me. And we talk about this idea of back casting, where you 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 look out in the distance for your ultimate goal or your ultimate destination, and you kind of like work backwards from there to see what are some ways that I could get there. And so hearing you say there were three things I wanted. Mm. out of the military, right? Mm-hmm. These three things. And then going going into it with that clarity of this is success in the end. Now, how do I get there? Mm. And there, there were probably many different ways that you could have gotten there. And, and yet, again, like each step along the way, having that endpoint kind of in mind and experimenting almost of saying, okay, well, this next step is that taking me closer or farther away and readjusting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that resonates with mm-hmm. how you actually played it out, but it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. Um, well, a few things come to mind. One it was there was a lot of just dog determination that I, um, I just was not willing to take no for an answer. That deployment on the hospital ship, I got, I can't even tell you how many times I was told, no, you're too junior or you don't have, you know, what we're looking for, or you don't have enough experience in the clinical setting. And I I just kept putting in an application. I just kept walking up to all the senior officers and saying, hi, I'm Ensign Tunsberg. You haven't met me, but now you have. (laughs) And, you know, some of it was really absurd and I just didn't care. I really like my goal was the hospital ship. I was going to go on it for a full float and you know, you can tell me, no, I'll just go to the next person. Um, now I will say years and years and years of doing that. It gets old and you finally are like, all right, all right. You cranky sea creatures. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) And that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It takes a lot of energy to push back against uh, no and to keep going and not accept no as a final answer. That takes a lot of energy. It it is exhausting sometimes. It is so exhausting. And I think when you're young and and like, you know, new in your career choices and you know, you're just like striking out and you're like, let's go forward, Clark, you know. (laughs) Um I, it it really is a Lewis and Clark expedition, like, (laughs) and, uh, maybe you don't have a guide, but yeah, you just go for it. Um, but the other thing, um, that what you were saying, like brought to mind is a poem, um, titled Ithaca. And I believe I'm going to say his name, right. But, uh, C.P. Cavafy. And the opening line is keep, keep Ithaca always in your mind. Mm. And it's a, it's a longer poem. I absolutely love that poem, but it explores this idea of, yes, you've got your goal, but don't get so focused on that goal that you miss out on the actual journey, because maybe that journey was the goal also. Um, at least that's the way I read it and interpret it. Um, but I, I feel like that has been one of the themes that I have maintained is like, I don't, yeah, there's this goal and I really don't exactly know what I'm getting myself into per se. Um, but in the same hand, Um, I'm not going to try to have every step planned out. Um, I'm just going to enjoy that, that little bit of a wandering adventure, I guess. Yeah. So let me ask you this because at this point you are no longer in the Navy. No. And you are no longer working as a nurse. Correct. (laughs) 
I would really love to hear some of your journey, whatever it makes sense to share of being in those positions and then making choices to step away. Because both nursing as a career and a profession and the military are quite distinct. Like there's a lot of identity that can come with being those in those professional in in those professions. Mm. And it can be it can be challenging to to step out of that community and that identity. I mean, mm. Yes, um, identity. Um, that's such a massive word. It it definitely um, affected uh, how long it took me to walk away. Mm. Um, I didn't know who I could be or what I would be if I walked away Mm. from not one, but two careers. And, um, I struggled with that for many years. It's, it's funny because like on, you know, you see things on Instagram about, Oh, you can just do this or that. And it's like, "Mm, it's not really a, you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm done. Like this is years of processing. Um, you know, trying to figure out, like, does it really matter if I don't know who I will be uh, next? Does it really matter if um, I'm not anything? Uh, So it wasn't just walking away from um, those two careers. It was really like kind of exploring um, like philosophy, Mm -hmm. like my own personal philosophy about life, like who I was, um, what is life? What does it mean to be alive? Like, um, is there any real like thing that I'm supposed to be living up to? Mm. Um, yeah. And I'd say, you know, there's this idea that, um, you know, you walk away from either of those. Um, and there's like a, a sense that, you abandoned something. Um, and maybe that has to do with like this idea, you know, that people get attached to about like, Oh, you you have to be a part of something greater than yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe being yourself is the greatest thing and, um, like letting yourself be, in the world as opposed to trying to be something bigger um might just be like a healthier aspect of living that i'm just now starting to discover (laughs) um but yeah like i I really had to tear things apart for myself like it wasn't just like i woke up one day and be like yeah in 12 months i'm gonna i'm gonna call it quits and you know just go do other things um I, I had to work through a lot of identity crisis, basically. Mm. Um, and, um, it wasn't easy. Like some, some days it was just, um, downright terrifying to think that like everything I had worked so hard for and, and believed, um, you know, was who I was, was potentially not true. Um, and it, it was a struggle, but it definitely was a struggle. Um, and I don't feel like I made the wrong decision either to walk away. What would you say made it worth all of the work, the deconstruction, the asking the tough questions of yourself and life and as in what made it worth being in the military being a nurse or what made it worth deconstructing all that and walking away ah i mean this eventually i got down to the bare bones of hope of like hoping that I could be happier 
hoping that I could feel healthier, um, hoping that I wouldn't see all of the brutality of life mm-hmm. and only that. Um, because after, you know, after working in an inner city for eight years and seeing like the depravity that, I mean, it's just absurd sometimes what people will do to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but looking at the poverty that we have here in America through, you know, the ER doors, yeah. um, and then, you know, deployments, um, where you see like extreme poverty, you know, extreme trauma, um, you just get to a point where you just cannot see the good. Um, and like, I got very, very good at like only seeing, um, like the really crappy stuff. Mm. Um, and it really affected my outlook. Um, and I just got to a place where I started saying there has to be something better for me. Um, and that's what I walked out on. It's the thinnest limb. Um, but it was just this tiny sliver of hope that maybe there was something just a little bit better that I could, um, enjoy for whatever length of time I have left. Well, and it's, I'd like to, if you're willing and and we can go a different direction if you want, but you know, I think about burnout and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you've talked a lot and not right now, but like in the work that you do about burnout in the field of nursing and, I mean, like you described, it's, it is difficult work. And I know the vast majority of us take nurses and other healthcare professionals for granted because just not because we don't appreciate it. It just, it just happens. Um, Mm. And yet we need to figure out a way to, to not let that happen and not take, take them for granted. And so yeah, it would be interesting to hear some of your thoughts and reflections around burnout in the nursing profession. Um, well, I probably won't be the most popular person for saying this, but YOLO. Um, you only live once for yes. those that don't know what YOLO means. <laughs> it is my go-to when I'm about to say something. It's probably going to get me executed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes, YOLO. Um, while there is a lot that the healthcare system has done to contribute to burnout, um, there was, there is an equal part that nurses, and I will say for nurses, because that's my experience, um, and what I have largely witnessed, there's an equal part that is contributed to the burnout crisis by nurses themselves. Um, One of the biggest things that I would see is like this attachment to the work environment and like, this is my family. This is my, um, my work family. And I can't let them down. And like, I feel terrible for abandoning my patients. And yes, all of that stuff you do go through. And at some point you just have to be willing to say no. Mm. And, um, I don't think that that is something that is taught or instilled, um, in nurses very well or at all. Um, it's this like, um, very interesting, idea about like self-sacrifice, which is, I think a little bit more like self-sabotage. Mm. Um, and I think that it is very difficult to hold a boundary, um, in the professional setting as a nurse, um, especially after some time, because when you come out of nursing school, you're like all gung-ho and you're going to change the world and you're going to make a difference. And, you're going to be Florence Nightingale's right hand and 
I don't particularly like Florence as a, I don't know, superhero in our profession, but whatever. Um, yeah, Florence was an administrator, so we should all be suspicious. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, I think there's, there's something that you can do as a nurse and that is practicing, you know, the word no, uh, in your vocabulary and saying, yeah, I'm sorry that, you know, everybody's short staffed tonight, but tonight's my night off. I'm not coming in. Um, because I, I think a lot of times like nurses get guilted into picking up those extra shifts. Cause it's not like a detached person that's calling you, you know, it's not like somebody necessarily from the staffing office. It, it's probably like the charge nurse that has just gotten to the unit and is like, Oh crap, we are short tonight. Like, yeah. or it's the charge nurse on the opposite shift that you're friends with. And they're like, Oh my God, would you please come in? Like yada, 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 all kinds of reasons. And everybody else seems to have called out sick, but you never do. And so we thought we would, you know, ask you, is it, there's so much connection in, and you have to be tight and rely on each other. And that makes it difficult when it's your coworker that you care about calling you. Mm. Um, uh, and you know, I, I had situations where like, I felt awful for saying no, because I knew that my coworkers were going to be struggling and I knew for my own sanity, I could not go in and work another night. And, you know, I would try with the unit manager, you know, whoever was calling me and I'd say, yeah, is there, um, like, a you know, work bonus for tonight? I'll come in for X amount of dollars over, you know, my hourly rate. And they're like, no, we'll just call somebody else. And it's like, okay, well, you know, if that person also said no, and the next person also said no, at some point over time, maybe, you know, somebody would be forced to like increase the pay rate or like actually follow through on promises to hire. Um, honestly, I think that we're so far down a rabbit hole of deficit, um, that, I don't think any of those tactics will work now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know in my own personal experience, there were a lot of times where my failure to say no is also what contributed to extreme stress, anxiety, frustration, um, just lack of feeling like I was, you know, worth anything, um, as a healthcare professional Mm. and some of it, I did it to myself. Um, and there were times where I called out my managers and, you know, I remember quitting one job saying the reason I am turning in this notice is because I do not feel appreciated. Mm. Um, and there was another time where I, you know, worked my last shift. I didn't, I wasn't scheduled for another few days. And I went to the, the manager's office and I said, here's my badge. I will not be back. Um, these are the reasons why, um, lack of appreciation, um, failure, you know, for hospital administration to keep promises. And I just ran down a list. Mm. Um, but that's actually when I've started feeling like I was actually taking care of myself Mm. was when I started saying no and enough is enough. Well, the thing that comes to mind for me is learning to set healthy boundaries Mm. and that is it's difficult and necessary Mm -hmm. and I know for myself and I know a lot of others didn't grow up learning to set healthy boundaries a lot of times in our families of origin we're just kind of conditioned to let things happen or you know whatever and we're not well, I'll speak for myself. I definitely wasn't taught healthy boundaries and saying, learning to say no and back to my people pleasing self, like learning to say no politely, respectfully, and firmly Mm. has been a skill that I have had to develop and is still a challenge for me. I'm much more conscious of it. And sometimes I will even 
articulate the difficulty in this. It is really hard for me to say no to this. Mm. However, I'm going to, you know, for these reasons. And, and the other piece that comes up for me as I'm listening to you share the quote that this podcast is, is based off of, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? Mm -hmm. It's a tricky thing because when I first heard that, I thought, okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at making life less difficult for others. But then the second part of it that I thought of is how I don't make life less difficult for myself. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of ways that I make life much more difficult for myself. And in the, in the process of learning to practice self-compassion, make choices, set boundaries that do make life a little less difficult for me, I find I'm able to show up for other people more effectively mm. without resentment, without the burnout, without the bitterness um, of just always being there for other people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely don't feel like I was uh, shown um, healthy boundary setting in my upbringing, not necessarily within my immediate family, but more from the religious, uh, community that we belong to. Mm. And, um, I, I think one of the biggest no's that I have ever said like to date was to that religious community and telling them, um, that I didn't want to be a part of, you know, that, I don't, I don't even know, like the group. I just, you know, I, I felt that I was constantly being told how, like I wasn't good enough. I wasn't the, you know, the right kind of Christian or like, these are all your terrible sins that you have chief of which, you know, you're gay. Um, and I finally got to a place in my head where I was like, you know, why is it that I don't say no to this? Like, it's basically an abusive relationship. Yeah. Why don't I put up a boundary about it? And it took some time, but I finally, you know, wrote a, an email to the pastor of the church that I belong to. And I said, I want to officially renounce my baptism into this um, faith. And I would like to have my name removed from um, membership. Um, of course, that led to a frantic, you must meet with us so that we can discuss and potentially win you back. And I mean, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> I, I was done. <laughs> um, yeah. Um yeah, that was, uh, I would say that was my crash course in this is how you set a boundary. Mm. Um, and even it really wasn't even with like a particular individual. It was more like a system, Yeah, which is basically, you know, what I encountered in healthcare is like, it wasn't a particular individual that I was setting a boundary with. It was a mm. system mm. that I was setting a boundary with. Back to the courage, since I haven't called you out on courage <laughs> in a while. No, but it does. It's and and I remember the first time you told me about the story of specifically saying, "Take my name off the membership records mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. this this church." And I, it stands out as a really courageous move because it's super easy just to stop going to church and just disconnect with you. You don't have mm -hmm. to, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your name will be on a book somewhere and like, doesn't matter. Right. And, and yet, I mean, that really stands out of that intentionality and it's, it's cool to hear you share it from that perspective of really learning to set a hard, no, protect yourself, say, this is, this is emotionally abusive. This is not working for me. I want to remove myself from this community and system of judgment and criticism mm. and shame and all of this, like that it's interesting hearing, hearing it from that perspective. And, and it's a really bold, courageous move. Yeah. I wasn't entirely sure if I was going to walk out of that meeting and like 
immediately keel over dead or whatever but i was like we got a ticket i was like where are the beasts are they gonna come out of the forest and attack me i think there's a bible story about that i i did like all the very violent bible stories as a kid my favorite of which was the one what the hell's her name the one, uh, the woman that put a tent peg through the guy's temple. Yeah, she was uh, intense. Yeah, man. When I, I very clearly remember when I was little and I would have to stay home, you know, sick from church. I'd get my dad to read me that story multiple times. It was my favorite. The violence, like I just tried to imagine, like this tent peg going through somebody's skull. <laughs> I'm sure this is a whole other conversation we could talk about your fascination with the violent Bible stories. If you haven't sensed it already, parents do not let your children listen to this one. This is all the things that your parents worry about with their kids. Running off to other countries as teenagers, joining the military, violent Bible story addictions. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Well, Alex, I am, I am really grateful for your willingness to share these pieces. And I know it's just slivers mm-hmm. right, of your experience and your journey, but it's really cool to hear. And, and again, I mean, just the theme of courage throughout your life. Um, it's very admirable and inspirational. <laughs> don't try this at home (laughs) um yeah i also have a very dark sense of humor (laughs) speaking of i think this would be the ideal time to talk about your latest business which is dark humor coffee um if you are a healthcare professional you understand the importance of caffeine (laughs) and dark humor. And for me, both have been very much a comfort in dark times. And um, both in the military and in civilian world, uh, in the military, coffee, good coffee was hard to come by. And uh, especially when you're out in the brutal cold and, you know, there's mud everywhere and nice cup of hot coffee, just so beneficial. And then of course, in healthcare, um, that dark humor, what would you do without it? So yeah, dark humor coffee is, um, based off of my experience as a, uh, an emergency room trauma, critical care trauma, all the different kinds of critical care nurse that you could possibly be um, and, uh, my deployment experiences. Um, it is a coffee brand that is, um, dedicated to nurses, um, and very much geared to all healthcare professionals. And I must say it is some pretty damn good coffee. I will second that. I, so far I've had the dark roast and the medium roast. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. And she, I, she allows me to drink it, even though I'm no longer part of the healthcare profession. <laughs> I was previously, but there, there is not that absolute requirement to be no in the healthcare uh, profession. So, but if you want to know what nurses and doctors are giggling about behind closed doors, just go to the website, darkhumorcoffee.com um, and read through some of the descriptions. Um, our dark roast uh, coffee is titled palliative care. Um, our, um, medium roast coffee is night shift and our light roast, um, is called rapid response. So yeah, just, you know, for some comedic entertainment and to try to understand your healthcare community a little bit better, um, just go to darkhumorcoffee.com and have a look and order some coffee. It's amazing. Um, I will put links in the show notes and thank you. 
Cheers. Cheers. We actually, we can clink our glasses in our teacups. Yeah. Made by my sister, Connie. Two cent ceramics. (laughs) Our sponsor is turned into an advertisement at the end of this podcast, which is, it's, it's okay. Um, but seriously, dark humor coffee is amazing, as is the way that you bring in your own sense of humor and your artistic, philosophic, <laughs> poetic self. And it's really cool to see it all woven together in uh, in this business that you're doing. So, well, thank you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult.